Left Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday, January the 22nd, 2019. And it is 8 p.m. And I want to thank you so much for being here with me for the next few minutes. I just got back from Richmond, Virginia this past Sunday. I had to drive up, I should say, from Atlanta uh, to go tape a crime show for TV One. So it was a very long weekend. I left Saturday morning, got there Saturday afternoon, started taping about 7 p.m., 7.30. Wasn't done until about 11.30. So I missed the Pacquiao fight. I missed UFC fight night. I missed a whole bunch of stuff. Got back in the car early Sunday morning, headed back to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Got back in town in enough time to see the second part of the New Orleans Saints game. Of course, if you're a football fan, there were two championship games this weekend that both went into overtime, AFC and NFC. Uh, Of course, if you're a New Orleans Saints fan, uh, you know, there was some controversy on that no-call pass interference, helmet-to-helmet contact, which could have changed the shape of the game. We don't know, but it very well could have. I'm not a Saints fan, so can't say that my heart is broken about it, but I'm sure for the city of New Orleans, their heart is broken. There's actually a petition going on uh, to the commissioner of the NFL to have a rematch of that game this Sunday. Will it happen? I doubt it, but if it did, it'd be a first in history. Uh, So would it change the outcome of who's going to the Super Bowl? Maybe. Maybe it wouldn't. And to my Patriots fans out there, I think 90% of the population is tired of seeing Tom Brady and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, but, you know, I guess the better team won in that game. And over time, Kansas City gave them a heck of a run for their money. And I tell you, Patrick Mahomes, he's probably the next big star quarterback in, an, in the NFL. So you'll see much more of that kid uh, in the time to come. All right, I want to switch gears, get right to it. I got a lot to cover. I got Chicago, I got Michigan, I got Florida, uh, I got Arizona to talk about. Uh, breaking news I want to talk about really quick. Uh, Michigan State Police Officer was shot in the face uh, during a those three words, routine traffic stop. Um, early this morning, about 2 o'clock this morning, after he stopped the vehicle that he believed was a stolen vehicle. Um, The officer is uh, Jeff Koenig. Koenig, He's a 16-year veteran with the department. He's listed in stable condition. Uh, Critical but stable. I'm not a doctor. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds like he may live uh, for right now, anyway, uh, the suspect was 29-year-old Joshua Roseburg, Rose Bush, I should say, of Michigan, who was later uh, spotted. He led police on a short high-speed chase, gotten into a shootout with police. Fortunately, uh, he lived because now he can actually face those charges of the attempted murder on that police officer. But I can't stress this enough, as I always say, you know, there's nothing routine. In policing, that shit does not exist. Excuse my French. 
things can go from zero to 100 just like that. This officer was shot in the face. You tell me what's routine about being shot in the face. Absolutely nothing. So for all those that still want to use the word routine traffic stop or routine this, there's nothing routine in policing at all. So I want to talk about Chicago, Jason Van Dyke. This is the officer that was charged or convicted, I should say, rather, of second-degree murder uh, of the 2014 shooting of Laquan McDonald. He was convicted back in October, second-degree murder, 16 counts of aggravated assault. Uh, his sentencing hearing was this past Friday. Uh, I actually was doing commentary for the Law and Crime Network as the uh, sentencing hearing was going on. Uh, a lot was going on in that sentencing hearing I want to talk about, but first I'll tell you he did get six and a half years uh, in prison with two and a half years uh, probation to serve after that. So looks like he'll be out in six years if he makes it. Uh, you know that it is what it is. So of course there's uh, certain people in the community of Chicago and across the world, Black Lives Matter, that don't agree with the shooting, saying it's an injustice. Uh, that he only got six years now. I will say I'm kind of 50-50 on that, and I'll tell you why. So I've told you I didn't agree with the shooting of Laquan McDonald. I know that's hard to say, this being beyond the badge and me being a big supporter of police and me being former police. But, you know, when I watched the video of the shooting of Laquan McDonald, and based on what Jason Van Dyke said, not only in his police reports, but while the trial was going on, that Laquan McDonald was advancing towards him with the knife and he felt threatened. The body cam, I'm sorry, the, the dash cam just does not support that theory. Um, for him to reasonably articulate an imminent threat against his life, the public's life, or the officers' lives around him, because several officers had been following Laquan McDonald for several minutes telling him to drop the knife so they didn't perceive him as a threat and several officers actually testified to that that they didn't perceive him as a threat so again i didn't agree with the shooting at all uh i'm kind of 50 50 on the sentence should he have gotten the more time eh, i don't know but here's what i do know this wasn't a case where jason van dyke just was walking down the street and randomly shot laquan mcdonald 16 times he was acting in the line of duty. And, you know, contrary to what a lot of these groups are saying, you know, A, when you're acting in the line of duty, B, when uh, you you have no priors, right? You, you, most judges don't go for the jugular and sentence people to the maximum sentence, you know, when they have no previous priors. That's just the way it is. Uh, so here, here's a few things you have to, to take into consideration. Uh, Jason Van Dyke was one of the officers responding to a call of a male black who we now know as Laquan McDonald armed with the knife who had attempted to rob a couple who had stabbed the tire of a police car. You see on the video, he's armed with the knife. There's no question Laquan McDonald was armed with the knife. Uh, so... You know, we can go back and forth with whether there was a threat there or there wasn't. But the fact is, Jason Van Dyke was acting in the line of duty during that shooting. Uh, whether you agree with it or not, that's the cold hard. Whether you agree with the shooting or not, rather, that is the cold hard fact that he was acting in the line of duty. So I think that's why the judge came back with the sentence he came back with. Uh, now, during the sentencing hearing, as I said, I did commentary for Law and Crime, and 
I want to touch on an article I read in the Chicago, Chicago Tribune by uh, a white reporter there. But I'm watching the sentencing hearing, and the prosecutions are they're calling all of these witnesses who had had previous encounters with Jason Van Dyke, and each one was black. And it was clear what they were trying to do, paint him as a racist who only had a problem with the black community. Uh, you know, and the defense did a pretty good job of discrediting at least three of those guys because he's like, so you were stopped for DUI. Well, yes, I, I was drinking that night. I was DUI. Oh, so you did roll through a stoplight. Yeah, I rolled through a stoplight, but I'm a black man in America. Like, so, but you rolled through a stoplight, whether you're black or white, you rolled through the stoplight. Yeah. So, but there was one individual who got on there. He was a little older. I think he was 49 at the uh, time now. But back when he encountered Jason Van Dyke, he was, I think, 40. Happened in 2009. Uh, Jason Van Dyke uh, roughed him up pretty bad, so much to the point where uh, he tore both of his rotator cuffs. Uh, he had to have surgery. He actually filed suit against the city and Jason Van Dyke. He won three hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars, and you know, medical experts got on the stand and said yes, the injuries were caused because of you know uh, the way he was handcuffed and then thrown into the car, like laying down on his shoulders, blah blah blah. So uh, I say that to say this: you look at the shooting of Laquan McDonald. You know, police get complaints all the time. I got a few. Everyone's like, well, he was complained on 20 times. Great. How many of those were founded? But the individual that ended up suing and getting the money, he actually complained too. So when you look at the shooting of Laquan McDonald, I think it goes deeper than Jason Van Dyke. And at some point, when do we hold the chain of command at the Chicago PD liable for what they failed to do. Because in my opinion, if your actions, especially which are preventable actions, caused the city to lose $350,000, in my mind as a chief of police, our deputy chief, our commissioner or whatever, you have now become a liability to my department. And it's my job to eliminate that liability. So fast forward to 2014, had Jason Van Dyke been uh, terminated back in 2009, whenever this lawsuit happened, would Laquan McDonald still be alive? We don't know. We can play devil's advocate. Would Laquan McDonald have done what he did that night with the knife and trying to rob the couple? Probably, because he was high on PCP that we later learned. So his actions that night probably would have gone the same way. Would someone else have shot Laquan McDonald? We don't know. Because if those officers perceived an imminent threat or for whatever reason shot him, he very well could have. But my point is, if the liability of Jason Van Dyke would have been eliminated back in 2009, then Jason Van Dyke wouldn't have been the guy shooting Laquan McDonald. And that's all I'm going to say on that situation. So I do want to talk about this article, though, which I found, found a little little funny. Um, there was an article written by, again, someone in Chicago Tribune, Rex Hupke, H-U-P-P-K-E. I assume that's right. Uh, and he, It says, uh, the headline is, Jason Van Dyke felt happy, in quotes, after sentencing. Where's the justice in that? And it goes on to talk about a word that drives me crazy. But anyway, so it was actually a statement 
by uh, Van Dyke's attorney, uh, Daniel Herbert. So we don't even know if Van Dyke actually said this. This is a statement from his attorney because it's not like Van Dyke went to the news media and gave a statement after his sentencing. So in in part, it says in a quote, uh, he felt truly great. He was not just relieved. He was happy. It was the first time I've seen this guy, honestly, since the whole ordeal started where he was happy. He's certainly not happy about going to jail. He's certainly not happy about missing his family, but he's happy about the prospect of life ahead of him. Uh, so the the writer goes on to say, consider that quote for a moment. He felt great. He was happy. It was the first time he was happy since the whole ordeal started. Those words drip with the sense of entitlement. What entitlement? Because, you know, when I hear entitlement, I know what he's secretly saying, the word white privilege. And where's the privilege in the fact that he's going to jail? Like, where's the privilege at all of the, I'm sure, 100 plus white people that Van Dyke had stopped previously that you didn't hear about on the stand? And out of those white people that he stopped, the ones that complained on Jason Van Dyke for his actions, did they have white privilege when they were stopped by Jason Van Dyke or when they were stopped by other officers in the city of Chicago? Where's the white privilege for or the entitlement for uh, the population of white people in poverty in Chicago? Where is that? And I always find it funny that it's usually someone who is white who uses the word white privilege to talk about other white people and you have to question like so you don't walk around at some point and say you're entitled because you're white or you don't assume that people think you're entitled simply because you're white so why why is it that you always have this this certain group of people who happen to be white talk about how white people have white privilege i just can't wrap my hand around that in my head around that concept you know but i did talk about on this show previously the the phrase black privilege uh which simply if you just say well i'm black and you did this because i'm black and i'm black and the police are here just because i'm black and then people want to change policies they want to issue apologies for stuff that they didn't do even though they did everything right but since someone says well it's because i'm black then that's when you start using privilege based on your race simply because you know well if i say this and if i say it's because i'm black people will do what i want like ask starbucks ask how many millions of dollars they lost for one day because someone called the police because people were trespassing who happened to be black and the officers who showed up happened to be white well had you just gotten up when you were asked to you wouldn't have been arrested and it wouldn't have been a black and a white thing it just would have been you were asked to leave you left and you wouldn't have been arrested but since you can say i'm black and if i say that then we're going to boycott you you're going to have to shut down you're going to have to give racial sensitivity training that to me is privilege so Enough about uh, Van Dyke, enough about Chicago. Um, I know by now you've seen the video of the uh, little kid in, in Tallahassee, Florida, where someone shot on their cell phone video and said, oh, they're pointing the gun at the baby on a felony stop. Well, Tallahassee police has responded, and thankfully they have body cams. So the backstory story is uh, police were called. Imagine that. 
Uh, and again, this is not getting a lot of traction because the individuals that were pulled over were white by white police officers. So you dang sure can't say, oh, that's racially motivated. Uh, oh, but wow, there's a concept. You mean, wait a minute, white police officer pulls over white people and points gun at them? Wow. Where's their white privilege? Anyway, so backstory is uh, police get a call about people shoplifting, I believe, at a Home Depot, and they had a gun. All right, so gun, shoplifting, they call the police. Police show up. They see the truck. Boom, boom. Felony stop. You know why it was a felony stop? And if you don't know what a felony stop is, that means I got my pistol drawn. I'm giving you commands to get out of the car with your hands up, back towards my voice until I put you in handcuffs. The reason they did a felony stop was because the individual that called 911 said there was a gun. So uh, as many people do that believe they're police experts because they have a cell phone or they're legal experts because they have a cell phone, uh, they pulled out their... Uh, cell phone started recording this and you see that one adult get out you see another adult get out hands up boom 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 all of a sudden you see this very 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 tiny little body get out of the car and start walking back towards uh the police car with her hands up and of course the person shooting the video oh my god they got the gun drawn at the baby they got the gun drawn at the baby video goes viral boom so tallahassee police was like hmm yeah, that's not really what happened. Let us release our body cam. So body cam, boom. You see the officer. He's got the guy walking back to him with his hands up. Boom, they handcuff him. He, holds, he, he holsters his weapon. He turns. He sees a little girl. You can actually see in the reflection of his police car in the dash cam video where he's not pointing a gun at anything. He's like, oh, sweetie, put your hands down. It's okay. Just come back here to mommy. Come back here to mommy. So the guy who's handcuffed like, well, can I call her back? Yeah, sure. So he calls her. He's like, come over here. Whatever the little girl's name is. Boom. She gets to her mom. Yada, yada, yada. So police approach the truck again. There's another small child in the car seat. So they get the child out. Guess what? The gun's in the car. So it wasn't a case ever of the police pointing a gun at the little girl. It was just one of those 40-second clips that we always see on the news of someone with their cell phone saying, wow, look at this police officer. They are dead wrong because I am the expert on police tactics because I have a cell phone. That makes me the expert. I didn't go to the police academy. I didn't go to in-service every year. I don't have a lick of training, but since I have this cell phone and I can post it on Twitter, Instagram, world star i am the police expert so let me flip the script the gun they find in the truck in the back seat where the kids were now it's a pretty big pickup truck one of those where it's got one of those little bitty back seats and it's kind of like more just a bench so you got the two car seats well you got the car seat you got the little girl now let's say police stop the car Guy reaches out of the car with the gun. Guess what? What do you think they're going to do? Probably going to fire at the truck. They couldn't even see the little girl was in there, is my point. Because of the vantage point they were at. They never would have known that little girl was in there. So do you think that they would consciously and on purpose point their guns at a little toddler on a felony stop? Come on. That's just ridiculous. That is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard, that they would do that on a felony stop. Uh, 
because, you know, they're just these rough and tough individuals who love to point guns at little girls. Like, come on, get out of here with that. That's not how it happened. I assure you, you know, go watch the video for yourself and find out that that's not the way it happened. But of course, you know, when people again, uh, I got this this cell phone camera, so I know I'm the police expert. Sure you are. Sure you are. But uh, it ended up being a fake gun. Uh, But police did what they were supposed to do. They did a felony stop because at that point they didn't know it was a fake gun. Well, it was a pellet gun, fake gun, pellet gun, whatever you want to call it. But my point is, had he stuck that out the window, police wouldn't have known that, and they probably would have opened fire on that car. So, for all those people that are like, oh my God, look what the police did. They pointed the gun at the little girl. Just think how it could have gone if that individual would have pointed that fake or pellet gun, I should say, outside that window at those police officers. I assure you, they would have opened fire, and we'd be having a different conversation. Then people would be saying, oh, they shot in the car with the little babies in it that they couldn't see from their vantage point. So to all you police experts out there, you don't know anything. So speaking of of pellet guns and fake guns, I'm sure by now you also heard about uh, the the 14-year-old kid in Tempe, Arizona that was shot and killed by police who ended up having a airsoft uh, replica of 1911 replica. So uh, this is another story that didn't really get a lot of traction it did initially until it didn't fit the narrative and now it's just at the local level in tempe arizona so backstory 14 year old kid uh was breaking into a truck someone called the police the owner i believe imagine that you're breaking in a car people call police boom hmm there's a noble concept so police officer shows up in the alley sees the kid in the truck and thankfully there's body cam uh You can see the kid moving around in the truck and what's in his hand, what appears to be a gun. So the officer gets behind cover really quick. It's like, hey, hey, show me your hands. Kid takes off running. A few seconds later, you hear two shots. Then you see the kid go to the left in another alley. Uh, Kid ends up dying. Now, the the officer says that uh, the kid turned to him and he, he perceived a threat. It's kind of hard to see in the body cam video because the kid had a heck of a jump on him on the foot pursuit. The kid was fast, so it's hard to tell. But it's not an open and shut case is my point. You know, people are saying, well, he shot him in the back, so therefore he was wrong. Well, we don't know. And even if he did shoot him in the back, I can tell you when I was in a foot pursuit of a person that had a Tech 9, that was a carjacking suspect and I could clearly see the gun in his hand as as he's running and I told them, I said, if you twitch towards me in any way, I'm going to drop you because you don't have to have perfect aim to shoot someone when you're just turning and aiming. Like, the chances of you getting hit pretty high. They don't have to, like, stop, turn around, come up on the target and all that stuff. That's not how it works. So if the officer's articulation is true and the kid turned on him, then as sad as it is, it is a justified shooting. So I'm sure Tempe police and whatever their state agency are reviewing that tape to say, hey, did this officer act within policy? 
Did he use deadly force in a reasonable situation? Did he perceive an imminent threat? And, of course, to all those that say, well, why didn't he pull out a taser or a pepper spray? Because, again, you don't meet deadly force with deadly force. And although it ended up being an airsoft pistol, do you think the officer could actually tell that <laughs> within a split second and while the kid's running away? Nope. It's impossible. It doesn't work that way. So I'll be curious to see where that case goes. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, it didn't get the traction as, let's say, a Tamir Rice case. We've heard Tamir Rice's name. We still hear his name. Anytime something involving blacks and police pop up, you know, we hear names like Tamir Rice, Michael Brown. And the reason I mentioned Tamir Rice, same situation, 14-year-old with a fake gun, airsoft pistol or whatever it was, shot by white police officers and that made national news for months months and months and again we still hear about it but since this kid antonio arce is hispanic doesn't make the news doesn't get the national coverage same situation identical situation 14 year old killed by white police officers with a fake pistol but since it doesn't fit the narrative, just like the truck that was pulled over with the toddler doesn't fit the narrative because I assure you if those people in that truck were black, right now we'd be hearing from Al Sharpton, Benjamin Crump, Jesse Jackson, Michael Jackson, Action Jackson, every Jackson you could think about. But since they were white and the police officers were white, it doesn't fit the narrative. But again, where was their privilege during that felony traffic stop? Where was their entitlement? But anyway, uh, you know, it's sad that, okay, we can pick and choose which stories we want to tell if it fits the narrative. Yeah, at the end of the day, a 14-year-old kid was is dead. At the end of the day, Antonio Arce's parents are mourning, just like Tamir Rice's parents were mourning uh, for his life, but doesn't fit the narrative. So one of those things to think about but i do want to say this though this happened tuesday last tuesday at 2 30 in the afternoon i do want to put some of the blame on his parents that's bad parenting for your 14 year old to not be where he should be which is school while he's out burglarizing a truck where were you to make sure your kid was where he was supposed to be and not burglarizing a truck so you have to take take some accountability for your actions he at 14 knows that's wrong he knows he should have been in school he knows he shouldn't have been breaking in the cars his parents probably knew that he skipped school probably on a regular basis because you don't just wake up one day and say you know what i'm gonna skip school so i can go break into a truck and see what i can get to take a cell phone come on that's not how it works so part of this we got to put the blame on the parents because they didn't have control of their child again it's tragic that he died but yeah, I'm not putting any of this blame on this police officer, especially right now. We don't have all the facts. We don't see all the video. So the video hasn't been enhanced. Now, if it's a case where the kid was running away and there was not that imminent threat, then we could have a different conversation. But right now, I mean, we got to put some of this responsibility on that 14-year-old kid and his parents for not making sure he was doing what he should be doing because that is their legal responsibility as his parents or guardians or whoever he's with so i'm i'm almost out of time but of course i want to do my 10-7 segment before i get out of here uh police officer sean tudor mobile alabama police department 
end of watch was this past Sunday, January 20th, 2019. Police officer Sean Tudor was shot and killed as he, he and several other officers attempted to serve an arrest warrant at an apartment complex at 1545 Leroy Stephen Road at 3 p.m. The wanted subject had local and federal warrants for several charges. During the previous week, he had faked his own abduction in order to avoid reporting to jail. Shots were fired in, as the officers attempted to take the man into custody, and Officer Tudor was fatally wounded. The subject was taken into custody at the scene. Officer Tudor had served with the Mobile Police Department for three years. He was previously recognized as Officer of the Month. So, again, it goes back to what I always say. When someone doesn't want to go to jail, back to jail, they'll do anything they can to avoid that, including killing a police and including apparently faking your own kidnapping like this individual did. So whatever those warrants were for his arrest, it fails in comparison to the murder of a police officer, which will get you life in prison. Uh, based on that, if convicted, which I think you probably got some pretty good witnesses that can say you were the guy that pulled the trigger and shot him. So uh, the bio does not say if he survived by a wife and children, but of course he is survived by someone, Officer Tudor is. And of course he leaves behind the entire Mobile, Alabama Police Department. I want to thank him for his service, three years of service. Godspeed to him. My prayers to his family, my prayers to the Mobile Police Department. I want to thank you for listening as always. I will see you same time, same place next week right here, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. I'm not the guy that brings up the referees and bitches about the... I'm just not that guy because the referees are are human. Referees are going to make mistakes. I'm not the kind of guy to bring one play and say that's the reason why they won or that's a bad call, that's why they won. I'm not really that guy. That being said... When you have a play at the end of the game that the referees, because there's a lot of them on the field, um, when you see one play at that juncture of the game that's that important, and first and foremost, it was targeting almost like it was an instructional reel of how to target. You don't get away with that ever. You never get away with leading with your helmet and launching yourself. Never. Okay, so first and foremost, it was absolutely ridiculous targeting. Should have called that. I mean, every in every game you see that called. It's missed every once in a while. But in that situation, in the, on a 10-yard line, it, and that's the first thing. It's targeting. The second thing, the DB was not even close to looking at the ball. Not close. Zero. So you're going to allow a defensive back to uncoil on a wide receiver when he's not looking at the ball. Like, that's not even really playing defensive back. The defensive back, he he pretty much conceded that I can't let this guy catch this ball at this moment. I'm going to uncoil on him. I'm going to make sure he doesn't catch the ball. I'll take the penalty. 
I'll take the penalty. And uh, Nikel Robery Coleman, I never heard of him before. He's a defensive back. Like, they interviewed him afterwards, and he was like, listen, after I hit him, I heard the noise, just looked around for the flags, didn't see a flag. The referee said incomplete pass. He goes, I looked around again, still no flags. They asked him, was it a penalty? He goes, yeah. Yep. So the problem is, if you're a Saints fan, you don't want to listen to the opposition say that, yes, it was egregious, and yes, I did it, and they got away with it, because that got to make you sick to your stomach. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.